Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 26 and we'll read through verse 38 this morning. Um, I just want to make mention this morning, oftentimes, last week I mentioned John preached in, in Valley City at First Baptist Church, Valley City. This morning, Kalen Heller is preaching at North Marion Reformed Church. I want to continue to make these, uh, uh, make you aware of these things that are happening. There are men and, and in our congregation who are serving other congregations through their gifts, um, including preaching uh, in our region, um, with the hope of seeing gospel proclamation happen throughout our region and across North Dakota with regularity. I'm also praising God this morning for, for many of our, our partners, church partners, and even churches here in town, um, churches like New Life Church uh, and Pastor Josh there. And, uh, and one of our Acts 29 uh, Dakota churches, uh, Connection Church in Sioux Falls, and Pastor Jonathan there, we're uniquely praying for them this, this morning. Um, as, uh, as a part of the Acts 29 network, we want to be continually lifting up churches and, and places around our region uh, where gospel proclamation and church planting is, is taking place. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26 this morning. I'm going to read through verse 38. 26 through 38, a very familiar Christmas passage to us. Let me begin. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The Christmas season is one where we're continually being reminded of the miraculous. We're continually being reminded of the supernatural elements that take place here, in, especially in Luke's birth narrative. And we explored one of those supernatural elements where an elderly woman last week in Elizabeth was a uh, was, uh, was given the opportunity to conceive and carry a child who would be John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah, who would prepare the way for Jesus, for Jesus Christ. And now, as we get to verse 26 in Luke's first chapter, um, we find an angel appearing to Mary, six months after he appeared to, uh, to Zechariah and told um, Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would would bear a son, and his name would be John. When we get to this passage, though, we see we move from highly improbable to impossible. We move from something that is 
It is supernatural in, in a specific way to something that is completely almost outside of the bounds entirely um, of what we can even begin to think of or imagine or conceive of. Christians for centuries have affirmed many confessions and creeds uh, throughout, uh, throughout the last uh, 2,000 years. One of, the, one of the creeds that was, uh, that was established very early in church history um, and used in congregational worship and has been used in congregational worship for centuries is the Apostles' Creed. And you may be familiar with the Apostles' Creed. You may be familiar with many creeds or confessions um, from your upbringing, or maybe you're not familiar with any of them at, at all. What, and the Apostles' Creed, again, is one of those primary uh, early sources of, of information that we're given uh, that indicates to us what the church believed very, very early on. So again, the Apostles' Creed um, is, is one that you probably have heard. And, and over the last several, I want to say even months, um, time feels like a blur, but um, Mark has even integrated some of these songs where we confess together some of these truths that you're going to see here out, uh, laid out in, in, this, uh, in this creed. Let me read it for us. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Even if you didn't know what I said when, or what I was talking about when I said the Apostles' Creed, again, there's probably something in there that you're familiar with. And when we get towards the end, you see the statement, the Holy Catholic Church. And this is referring to the universal church. Just a quick side note. This is referring to all believers for all of time. So in the New Testament, we have these two ideas formed where there's the church universal, where everyone who has ever professed faith in Jesus Christ um, uh, is part of the universal church. And then we have Local churches like this, Buffalo City Church here in Jamestown, North Dakota in 2021. But for everyone here who has trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, has repented of your sins, turned from them, who's believed in the Lord Jesus, then you're part of the universal church as well. You're unified and, and, uh, and put together in a, in a body, a, a body that transcends time and space. Um, you are part of the universal church, just like a first century Christian in Jerusalem or a 16th century Christian in Geneva or a 18th century Christian in Shanghai. The, the local church, though, is this expression here this morning. And much of the New Testament is written to local churches. The Gospel of Luke, on the other hand, is probably written to all Christians across a big range of areas. And so when we make a statement like this, and we see the encouragement that comes through something like the Apostles' Creed in the affirmations of what we believe. And you see that multiple times throughout the creed, I believe. Creeds like this one, creeds like the Apostles' Creed, um, that are derived directly from Scripture, giving us some handles to, to hold on to about our belief systems, 
though, um, came under attack in the 19th century. And, and many churches began to reject and many theologians began to reject some of the most basic truths contained in this, in this statement to the point where we've gotten to a spot in our culture where to affirm even any of this is seen as radical or almost, um, almost insane in some ways, um, in some shape, way, shape, or form. So in the 19th century, we have this development of liberal theology. Now, when I say liberal theology, I'm not talking about Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking about uh, an attempt to de-supernaturalize the Bible. Essentially, anytime you see a miracle, anytime you see something that we can't explain um, through the scientific method, anything that we can't explain um, by observing it with our eyes or our ears or any one of our five senses, um, to remove those elements altogether and to deny them wholesale as, as something that could not happen. This is part of the ongoing secularization of Western civilization, where, when I say that, what I mean is that um, God then, Christianity, is seen as one option among many instead of the one way. Where we are, then as people, made into the masters of our own destiny, choosing what spiritual position, spiritual ideology best fits for us, or just no option at all. And most of Western civilization says that it's just fine. You'll be fine. In this life, it'll be okay. Or next, whatever, in the next life too. Whatever you choose, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. But I want to insist this morning that verses 26 through 38 in really all of Scripture, um, we, we shouldn't just pick this particular passage out, although this passage is a very helpful one for us as we begin to understand these concepts. This passage in particular, as it relates to the virgin birth and what Gabriel told to Mary, what would transpire, um, this is very important uh, to the Christian faith. It's laid out here. It's laid out in the Apostles' Creed. Last week, when we looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah and Gabriel's interaction with them, we saw very clearly we saw very clearly that, that, that the curse-reversing redemptive power that Jesus brings into the world is able to reverse any situation in any person. It was seen in Elizabeth's pregnancy. An elderly woman, childless. She was made fruitful. And look at verse 25, right before our passage. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach to take away my disappointment among people. The situation, again, was a highly unlikely one. But in this text, in this text, we see an impossible one. We see an impossible one. And we're told then, by God's grace, in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. So I want to point out three things in this text this morning. I want to point out three things here so that uh, we can be on the same page. Because when we think about the impossibilities of, of, that exist in our world, um, we must begin to think and affirm together that God is someone who operates beyond these impossibilities that we see. 
So the first thing I want you to see this morning, and the first thing that I think Luke, the gospel writer, wants us to see here in this text is that God works ex nihilo. Now, that's just a fancy way of saying God brings or creates out of nothing. That there is nothing that God needs to bring things into existence. We see that at the beginning of, of, uh, of creation in Genesis 1.1. Now, this is a, a point um, that John, the gospel writer, John, the gospel that we've been exploring together um, throughout the last year and change, um, John, the gospel writer, brings this to the fore when he writes in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That echoes clearly Genesis chapter 1, 1. Where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John does that intentionally to take us all the way back to the beginning so that we would be reminded when Jesus Christ comes into the world that he has brought everything out of nothing. And so we affirm uh, as believers that God brought everything out of nothing or ex nihilo. And we affirm that Jesus was there at the beginning, just like John says in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the divine Word, Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word, the divine Word, was God. But here in Luke's Gospel, I love how he does this because he uses the narrative to make the exact same point. He uses the narrative to make the exact same point in this interaction between this virgin teenage girl in in first century Judea and, um, and an angel who stood in the presence of God. He uses the narrative. Matthew does this too by highlighting the virgin birth. Conception requires a man and a woman. This is God's good design. In order to have a baby, you need a man and a woman. The virgin birth here shows a supernatural act. And this is why it's so important for us to affirm that God supernaturally conceived Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. Mary didn't know a man. She, she we're told here, she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. She wasn't married. Their marriage had not yet been consummated. Gabriel said to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The conclusion is verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. A God who can bring everything out of nothing shows that he can bring life from a barren place in Elizabeth and he can bring life out of nothing in Mary. Gabriel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and, in, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called holy, set apart, the Son of God. As Christians, this is um, highlighted at Christmas. This is highlighted at Christmas. We, we must hold fast to the virgin birth as a historical reality. Um, I want, again, this idea is radical. It's 
it's not commonplace. I think that if you polled, um, I'm going to speculate heavily here, but I think if you polled most people who find themselves in church on a Sunday morning, this Sunday morning in 2021, in Western culture, they would say, it's not, it doesn't really matter. Or, no, nah, it probably didn't happen that way. But we need to hold fast and affirm that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the power of the Most High overshadowed her in order to continue affirming that our God is the God who brings everything out of nothing. Because as soon as we begin to deny the virgin birth, we begin to chip away. We begin to chip away at several things. We chip away at the infallibility of Scripture. We believe that Scripture doesn't make mistakes. How can we affirm that if we say it's not a big deal? It doesn't really matter. We deny the infallibility of Scripture. We question God and His Word. When as, as soon as we come to this and we say, I, uh, I mean, the science, it just isn't there. We question, if we come to this, we get to chip away at what we believe to be true about God. God is the creator God who needs no one and nothing to bring everything into existence. He wrote the laws of nature. He is the only one who can operate outside of them. He's not bound to them. He made them. I think, I think that there's a component here where we oftentimes think to ourselves, yeah, that's who God is. And that's, and sure, he brought everything out of nothing, but that really doesn't matter for my day-to-day life. God, when he used the angel Gabriel to appear to Mary, to tell her that she was going to conceive and have a son, despite the fact that she knew no man, is a radical testimony to the fact that our lives need to be dedicated to every single um, reality, the natures of God, the nature of God in the scripture and the word that he puts before us. You're not here this morning because this fits into your week and so that, that's good and fine and so I'll show up to church and sort of squeeze some of these realities or think about them from time to time when I'm having a tough day. This is a testimony to the reality that everything that we are needs to be dedicated to everything that God has said. This is the way that Mary responds with faith in verse 38. We're going to talk about that when we come to our conclusion. So that's the first thing I want you to see here this morning. That God brings everything. He is the God who brings everything out of nothing. The second thing that I want you to note here is the the mercy of God in communicating to Mary what was going to transpire. So I'm going to say it like this. God gives indicators and reminders of his intention. God gives us indicators and reminders of his intentions. Mary was to, again, conceive by the Holy Spirit, Gabriel tells her. Look at verse 36. And behold, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called 
barren. Elizabeth's now six months pregnant. She was given a son in the womb who now had his own fingerprint. I want you to see God's good design here because um, he set this up in such a way so that Mary's faith would be established and built. So she would say, really? My, my, my relative Elizabeth, who is old and who has been barren, who has been disappointed for her entire life, unable to bear children, has conceived and is six months pregnant? If that's, if that's not impossible for God, God gives her an indicator and a reminder of his intention. She asks the question in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And this is how he responds, how Gabriel responds in verse 36, is to address it with the reality that God made a promise to Elizabeth and that she was six months into the fulfillment of it. God's good design is that through his actions in the past, he shows us that he intends to be fully and unwaveringly faithful in the future. We have example after example of this in Scripture. God leads his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, showing us that he intended to, through the life that was to be conceived in Mary's womb, would lead his people out of bondage to sin. And even within six months, God made a promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth, brought it into reality, and in order to strengthen Mary's faith, when Gabriel appeared to her, communicated the same for her. Look at the promise that he speaks to her. The nature of the promise in verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Um, The virgin birth is an impossibility. God supernaturally brings that about. This is also a radical claim. Uh, Um... The people of God have not been free of some type of oversight from some type of um, uh, oppression now for several hundred years after the Babylonian captivity. They've had some puppet kings and some politicians who who have their their own best interests in mind. But after a few hundred years, including an extended like four-century period of time where God hasn't said anything to his people, he shows up to an old man and an old woman, tells them they're going to have a kid, and then shows up to a teenage girl and says, without knowing a man, you're going to, and I'm going to put him on David's throne. A thousand years ago, the throne that I established and the covenant I made with David I'm going to put this one in your womb onto the throne. And he's going to reign not not for 50 years, not for 75 years, not for 150 years, not for longer than you can even think of living. He's going to live, he's going to reign for eternity. 
despite the fact that what Gabriel told Mary was impossible. God's faithfulness to Elizabeth, Mary's relative, and God's faithfulness to all his promises made and kept. These stood as an indicator to Mary that despite the impossibility of the situation, God would be faithful to do all that he said he would do. Friends, I, I, want, you to, I want you to see how audacious this is. This isn't like, I'm going to bring you pizza for lunch. This is, he's going to be set apart. And he's going to reign forever. And I'm going to bring it out of nothing. This is the Jesus Christ who right now reigns at the Father's right hand. This is not a guy who died 2,000 years ago. The reality is that Jesus Christ is seated at the Father's right hand at this moment. Friends, if you're in him, you're joined with him, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Do you see how desensitized we've become? Do you see how we, we just think to ourselves, the virgin birth, eh. Jesus Christ, the king of all creation, of the entire universe, all of the cosmos, reigning at the Father's right hand, eh. We are insane! I'm, I'm telling you that we need to begin to believe in our heart that, that Jesus Christ is reigning on the throne at this very moment and that all of our life is owed to Him just simply because it's through His agency that we came to be. And because then He came to earth he lived a sinless life. He died the death that you and I deserve. You deserve hell apart from God for eternity. And Jesus Christ dipped down from heaven. He condescended. Think about that word. He came down from heaven. He, he's the king. He is the one who made it all. And he condescended in the most the realest sense of that word, you've been condescended upon by someone in your life. Jesus Christ condescended, and it is exactly what it sounds like. And praise be to him for doing so, because apart from him, we would be in an eternity of death and destruction, being vessels of wrath. And Jesus Christ walked into our world and lived the life that we should have and died the death that we should have and came back defeating death in order that we might spend eternity with God the Father in His presence in, where there are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> Don't walk away from this place this morning and forget that Jesus is actually reigning on the throne and that He was actually conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was actually lived a sinless life in 
perfect step with all that God commanded. I wonder how that would change our lives if we just didn't look at it. Oh, yeah. Okay. On to the next thing. God gives an indicator to Mary in order to establish her faith so that when, so that when the angel Gabriel would speak this impossibility to her, she could accept it and say with a faith-filled response in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. God's kind. And he gives indicators and reminders of his intentions and his perfect faithfulness. The last thing I want you to see this morning is that God brings redemption from impossible places. Last week we saw that God, that there's no place into which Christ's curse-reversing redemptive power cannot reach. There is no one, no time, no place that Jesus Christ's curse-reversing redemptive power cannot reach into. So when you have loved ones who you meet with over the holidays and you spend time with them and you think to yourself, how could God change this person? He can. But then, and what I want you to see here is that not only does it reach into impossible places, but it comes from an impossible place. We see that God chose to bring redemption out of an impossible place. Now, if you're confused by the word redemption, redemption just means being brought, bought back. Jesus' sacrifice buys us back from our slavery to sin. He gave up his life so that we could live. He died so that we could live. But Jesus Christ, the source of our redemption, was born to a virgin girl in first century Judea who knew no man. An impossible place. But through it, we're reminded that nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Jesus' life here on earth also was marked by impossibilities and we're designed to see here that a supernatural beginning was going to be marked by the supernatural throughout this time here. The dead are raised. The sick are healed. His life is a sinless one. The resurrection and ascension bear witness to the impossibilities. And it all begins with the virgin birth. Jesus was totally man, and yet his life was marked by the supernatural. From the way he came into the world to the way that he left it, ascending into the clouds. Another reality that gets shrugged off. Up until this point in history, much of God's story in human history came from unlikely places. Here we see an impossible one, but we see unlikely ones that, that echo or foreshadow Jesus' impossible place. Like Abraham, a pagan, who God chose for no other reason just for the, than, other than the fact that he chose him. Or like Moses, who grew up the son of Pharaoh's daughter but became the deliverer of God's people. The author of Hebrews actually recounts that. He says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Egypt represented the fleeting pleasures of sin, an unlikely place to be called out of. The author of Hebrews then says, listen to this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to, looking to the reward. <laughs> he, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That's an unlikely place. Or Rahab the prostitute who housed Israelite spies in Jericho. Or David, who gets referenced in our very text this morning, who is the last of Jesse's sons, who didn't even get an invite to the king anointing party. He was just left in the field to tend to the sheep. Or consider yourself. <laughs> Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, he says, For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I'm a little offended. That's the point. God's story contains unlikely people in unlikely places. And the way he sets them apart is through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. A redemption brought from an impossible place. The womb of a virgin girl in first century Judea who knew no man. So let me just recap. The reality of the virgin birth has implications for us. One, we're reminded that, God, that it is a God who brought everything out of nothing. Everything was created by him and everything belongs to him. Christmas offers us a time to be reminded of that reality. That God who is infinitely generous to us in sending his son Jesus Christ into the world to die for miserable sinners like you and me. Just by creating the world and putting us in it too, his infinite generosity is shown to us. Everything that we have and everything that we are is owed to him. We didn't create ourselves. You don't will yourself to keep living at this very moment. It's God's infinite generosity shown to you as a creator God who speaks life into existence, who speaks everything into existence. God brought everything out of nothing. And his generosity is seen clearly in that very act. The life of The life in the womb of a virgin girl bore witness to the reality. And that life in that womb was the author of life himself. We're also reminded of God's promises and plans. God in scripture gives us continual reminders of what he has done. In order that we might see clearly and might be reminded um, of his never-ending faithfulness. And that we would be strengthened to see that he has promised many things to us in his word 
and that all of those things will come to pass. Sometimes God gives us those reminders through our own lives or through the lives of others. But Christmas affords us opportunity to express to one another how God has worked in our own lives. Don't don't let this season, because it's going to get jam-packed, and if it's not already jam-packed, it's going to very soon. Don't miss opportunities this season to express to other people how God has shown you generosity and kindness over the course of this last year. So that they may be strengthened and built up and reminded that God makes promises to us and that he is always faithful to keep those promises. We have opportunities, friends, as a church to point one another to to a God for whom nothing is impossible. And then last thing, we're reminded that our redemption comes through Christ alone. The God who brought everything out of nothing sent his son into the world to redeem people for his own possession. God chose to send Jesus into the world in a specific way. He didn't descend into the cloud, from the clouds. He didn't descend from them. He came in all humility, in a miraculous way, through the virgin birth. This is an impossible place for life to come, but God is a God for whom nothing is impossible. An infinite debt of sin. That, that was the mission, to pay for an infinite debt of sin. I'm not a mathematician, but you can't get your head around it. That's an understatement. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And so, friends, I want to affirm together with you the virgin birth as an essential thing for Christians. Um, We should affirm it with our lips, like in the Apostles' Creed. At the end of our time, I want to actually say it all together. But our lives also ought to bear witness to it. Like Mary said to Gabriel, I think this is so impactful in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to us according to God's word. Not according to our plans. Not according to our plans that we fabricated and want to chase all of the time. But according to his. What plans have you made? What plans have you made? that are keeping you from a faith-filled response like Mary in verse 38. A career plan, a plan for your family, a vacation plan. What plans, big or small, have you made that you are not submitting to God's word? That you cannot say this of. Let it be to me according to your word. God's words to Mary through Gabriel were certainly not according to Mary's plan. There were so many unanswered questions. But she said, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to us according to God's word. May we not trust earthly things, but trust fully in the one who created us and sustains us. Trusting the author of life. Our lives bear witness to the virgin birth when we live like nothing is impossible for God. If he can bring life out of the elderly, barren womb of Elizabeth, 
and he can bring life out of the womb of a virgin girl who knew no man, if he can speak all things into existence, surely he has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten us. And surely he can bring us through even the darkest place. The 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We magnify the Lord when we celebrate God's power and purposes fulfilled in Christ at Christmas. And we, when we respond in faith like Mary responded, let, us, let it be to us according to God's word. So before I pray, let's read the Apostles' Creed together. Let's do that lips part. And then my prayer for you is that it would also be part of your life as we go from here. So um, with gusto, affirm these truths in your heart and by the power of the Spirit of Christ, internalize these beliefs and see that they are designed to shape us into Christ's likeness this Christmas season. Let's read this together. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. God, we praise you for the testimony that we see in the life of a young virgin girl in first century Judea. God, may this establish and grow our faith. God, may we be bolstered this week to affirm more deeply the truths that your word contains in it. God, and we desire to know nothing but Christ and him crucified the one who came into the world to redeem miserable sinners, to buy us back um, and to pay for the infinite debt of sin that we owed. God, making us who were once vessels of wrath into vessels of mercy so that we as your people might give glory to the Father. God, as we go from here, may the realities that we've just explored together not be far from us. God, whenever we make a plan in our day-to-day, God, whenever we rely on an earthly thing, may we remember Mary's profession. Let it be to us according to your word, O God. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.